Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day simply to be alive, to be here right now, uh, breathing, listening to your word before we come meet you face to face. Father, this is another opportunity and privilege to worship you through learning your word in humility. And we thank you for your grace and mercy towards us as we do this thing one day at a time. Father, we also ask special prayers for Alice and her family for the passing of her mom. And we ask that you comfort everyone and bring yourself glory through the services that go on and somehow get your good news across to those who are in the periphery. Father, most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who made all of this possible and purchased for us eternal life once for all. We thank you for judging our debt, our sin upon him so that we could be set free by faith in him. Father, please bless this message right now. Help us concentrate Guide us by your spirit. Help us hear the special message you have planned for us tonight from eternity past. We ask all these things based on the merits of our precious Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 41. So as we well know by now, the Spirit has used uh, music lately as a lever to get our attention. And uh, he, often, he often seems to jolt us about different topics, um, you know, even abruptly to wake us up sort of. And then he kind of smooths things over in a way and he says, okay, why am I really doing this? And in this case, it was to get us to examine our worship, whatever kind of worship it is. Uh, and where our affections lie, which is most important, as we should know by now. So I was thinking, it's so easy to assume we're doing things right, we're doing, doing things correctly. Especially if you've been into the Word of God faithfully for a while, we can get in this pattern of, you know, we're doing it right, quote-unquote, right? And we start comparing ourselves to other churches, which is wrong. But we start to get a little too comfortable with what we're doing, assuming it's right, assuming it's the best way it could be done. Uh, sometimes we even talk ourselves into these things. Or we're so steeped in our culture, even our church culture, that we've always assumed something is good in God's eyes. So if, if anything, hopefully we've seen that over the last how many years, that there might be a better way sometimes. And I was thinking about how years ago we used to pass the basket for the offering, right? Which we haven't done in years. And now that's normal for us. So the offering's in the back, it's out of the way, less attention on money, a wonderful thing. But years ago we used to pass the basket and that was normal. That was good. That was okay. And we found the, through the Spirit a better way. So these things are always going to come up, whether it's regarding music, worship, or whatever. God wants us to Examine our worship and examine where our affections lie in the things that we do. And it's not until we're challenged by the Word and the Spirit that we stop and take a look. 
we hate to be challenged. In our flesh, we hate to be challenged. Uh, we always like to think we're on the mark, which, of course, we're not all the time. And if we're honest, we often find some poor motivations or misplaced affections. And as I mentioned last week, God is continually sanctifying us. It's a, it's a nonstop process. It's a never-ending process until heaven. God is continually sanctifying us. It means there's always work to be done. There's always more refining that he wants to do in us individually and as a, a body, as a church. So by grace, God will continue to show us ways we could worship him better or in more purity, let's say. Does that make sense, everybody? I mean, he's bringing us closer and closer to him as we humbly keep sitting before him. He's bringing us closer and closer. We never, ever arrive in this life, but there's an infinite closeness, so to speak. We can always get closer to him while we're in this life. And if we stay humble, we will bring God more and more glory with our lives because he shows us things that are more pure, more wonderful, more focused on him. Well, that's what worship is, right? Really focused on him, not ourselves or people or things or the church even. So he's refining us because it brings him more glory. And when we see him face to face, we'll know him that much better. It's going to be awesome and wonderful for those that stick with the word. Because there's an intimacy that we're going to have when we see him. That other believers won't, won't have, honestly. Because we learned in our lives on earth. So on the board, we might call this our continual perspective that we should keep Thank you, God, for helping us examine ourselves so that we don't continue to dishonor you in ways that we haven't understood yet. There will always be things in this life that we haven't understood yet. Amen? In humility, let's grab, that, grab onto that. There are always going to be things we haven't understood yet. We might have a good heart. We might have good intentions. But we don't see something that is not pure until the Spirit and the Word pointed out to us. And great, graciously, He does it one thing at a time. So again, our continual perspective. Thank you, God, for helping us examine ourselves so that we don't continue to dishonor you in ways we haven't yet understood. Just something to think about. As Pastor pointed out on Sunday, it's what we think about music that counts. It's our perspective. It's where our affections lie. Uh, are we doing things for God's glory or for our own glory in some way? Trying to impress when we sing, for example. Any form of worship should have God at the forefront, of course. But when we examine our affections, he's often not first. That's just the way, the truth of the matter. He's often not first in our hearts. Even though we might be claiming to rightly worship God. And maybe we are, but maybe there's a more pure way that he shows the humble. So on the board, this is one of our main points from Sunday regarding worship. Our affections set the direction of our worship. If our affections are for God, we worship and serve and praise and celebrate him through our mediator, Jesus Christ. However, if our affections are for self or for any other God or idol, such as our emotions, 
we worship and serve and praise and celebrate ourselves through an ungodly mediator of the flesh. This goes on in churches all the time. And even in our church in some ways, even though we try our best to stick to the word, it goes on, like, and it takes the Spirit to wake us up to see the areas of our lives where we might be uh, praising self, uh, too concerned with self, or emotions, or self-satisfaction, or whatever. We could keep going on and on. And the flesh deceives us to think we're worshiping God in a pure way. So, um, first of all, remember, our God is a jealous God. He demands to be first in our hearts. And here's what he said to the church at Ephesus, despite all their good deeds, remember. A lot of compliments for the church at Ephesus. But then the Lord said this in Revelation 2.4, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. What a hard statement. Because we know love is the greatest of these, right? Faith, hope, and love, 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest of these is love. And Jesus said, you did all these good things, like truly good things, but you left your first love. Very sobering. So keep this passage in mind right now as we review our main point. Our affections set the direction of our worship. If our affections are for God, we worship and serve and praise and celebrate Him through our mediator, Jesus Christ. He holds our affections, in other words, Jesus, plain and simple. However, if our affections are for self or any other god or idol, such as our emotions, we worship ourselves through an ungodly mediator, the flesh. And many times we don't even realize we're doing it. That's why it pays to be humble. Because God will reveal these things to the humble. And then you're so glad he did when you realize an area that you were faltering in, that you were self-focused in. You're so glad he revealed that to you. But if you didn't remain humble under his word, in submission, you never would have had your eyes open in that area. And um, there's regrets there. You know, there can be. But how grateful are you when God opens your eyes to something, when you really see that you're doing something wrong? You're really grateful. That only comes with humility, one day at a time. So these things we often don't realize we're doing unless they're pointed out to us by grace. Turn again to Philippians 3.15. Philippians 3.15. The flesh is an ungodly and unholy mediator that tries to get in between you and Christ. You know, he's like a, a flirtatious, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone who tries to get your attention, tries to draw you away from somebody, lure you away. He like steps right in between. You ever seen the movies when like, you know, two people are connecting, let's say, and then someone steps right in between, tries to interrupt them like this? That's the flesh. Don't focus on Jesus. Don't be in love with him. Uh, have your affections only for him. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. That's what our flesh says all the time. Philippians 3.15. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. 
and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. Isn't that great? I love that phrase. But he's only going to reveal that to you if you're listening to his word. Listening. Do you remember Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear? Only the humble are going to have these things revealed by God. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Not much more tragic than that. On the board, we talked about whose God is their appetite. A person may have an appetite for just about anything, for example, food, drink, money, sex, pleasure, other people, idols of all different forms. When they surrender themselves to the lusts of the flesh, this appetite becomes their God. We, we see this in our, our relations, people around us all the time. People that don't really care about God or, or put them on the side and have something that they're obsessed about, something that they're always talking about, thinking about. And what is that thing? That, that is them surrendering to a certain lust of the flesh. And it's now they're God, whether they call it that or not. They usually won't. But it is their God. Why? Because they worship it. They bow down before it. They follow it. Instead of following Jesus, they follow it. So there you have a God. From there on out, they live to worship, serve, praise, and celebrate the new God. Again, Philippians 3.18. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship, Paul says, believers, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So what we have here is the big picture in view. The Spirit is saying, stop looking at the small picture. For example, what's right in front of you, like the world does. What's right in front of me? What can please me now? Stop looking at the small picture. Stop looking at what verse 19 says, earthly things. Stop letting your God be your appetite. The word appetite is also often translated in some translations, belly or stomach. And the Greek points to a hollow cavity that wants to be filled. A hollow cavity that wants to be filled. It reminds me of our instant gratification society. What do, what do people in the world say now? Because it's so easy to get so many things, especially in America. Fill my need now. Fill my gap now. Uh, it doesn't matter how you do it, just do it. Whether it's through your technology or through 
buying things or through um, indulging in food or drink, the instant gratification is a good picture of that. God, uh, their appetite being their God. The flesh has an appetite for immediate self-fulfillment, even if it's unrighteous. And we as believers, we as children of God, must be on guard for these schemes. Um, it has a way, the flesh, of convincing us, so comp- uh, compromising, helping us justify things, whatever the solution is. And then our God can become our appetite, whatever that lust is we might surrender to. And the Bible says we serve whatever we're a slave to. Or whatever we serve, we are a slave to. And the Lord said we can't serve two masters. So if you're playing a game, if you're on a fence, and you're going back and forth between serving the Lord and serving a lust pattern of yours, the Lord said you can't serve two masters. You're playing a game. In other words, you're not really serving either one. You're definitely not serving the true one. So we're reminded tonight of a, uh, by a couple of old friends of ours. Uh, turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. And I say a couple of old friends because friends tell the truth. And that's what Scripture does for us. These will be reminders. I'm sure you'll remember these from maybe uh, a couple months ago. 1 Corinthians 6.12. Paul said, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. My God is not going to be my appetite. Food. So here's our first example we've been talking about. Food is for the stomach. And the stomach is for food. But God will do away with them both. Why are we serving food? Why are we being a slave to food or whatever we indulge in when God's going to do away with them both? Yet the body is not for immorality. Here we get on to illicit sex. The body is not for immorality, but it's for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. I think of uh, Joseph in the Old Testament and his test with Potiphar's wife and how he refused to sin against God. His words were, I can't sin against God like this. Again, look at verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. He was thinking along with the Lord. He was one with the Lord in thought. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Notice it doesn't say 
just to glorify God in our heart or our soul, which we certainly are to do, right? God looks at the heart. We're told here, glorify God in your body. And there is an intimacy there with the soul too, an intimate connection. So don't let your fleshly appetite be your God. Uh, If so, you're acting like an unbeliever. Surrender your body to the Lord for his service. A la Romans 12.1, which we'll get to again tonight. Surrender your body to the Lord for his service. It's his. Bow the knee to the Lord. Say, I'm at your service, Lord. I'm tired of serving other things, other idols. I'm at your service. Our other old friend is in 2 Peter 2.19, part B. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. So whatever controls us, whatever we might think about every day and even become obsessed with, we're uh, serving that thing. We're a slave to it. At least in our heart, if not physically speaking. Because we're always occupied with it. So who are we serving? You know, who are we praising? Who are our affections towards? So here's where we must be uh, on guard for the deceitfulness of sin. As came out on Sunday, and I put this on the board for you regarding worship, if we're not careful, our affections will drift. And as our affections go, so goes the direction of our worship. God looks at the heart, right? And whatever we do, we're going to see that coming up in a minute. And whatever we do, God looks at the heart. Where do your affections lie? That's where the direction of our worship is truly going, even if our body is doing one, something else. Even if we're doing something that is, quote-unquote, godly or part of church wor- service or worship. Where are our affections? Our emphasis recently has been that we have to be careful not to make our emotions and our feelings our little God, even in music worship. And as Pastor said on Sunday, he's doing his best to lead us uh, going forward in that area. And I'll do my best as I can um, to help worship in song and the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. But in the big picture, in our individual relationships with God, on the board, worship is personal. That was what came out on Sunday. Worship is personal. It's up to you as individuals to contemplate when and how you worship outside these four walls of the church. The church is like a guide. The pastor is like a guide. There's so many hours. We're not here. And we're trained here to go out there and worship properly, to live godly, to to have our own relationship with God. So again, it's up to you as individuals to contemplate when and how you worship outside of these four walls of the church through things like music or prayer or the Word of God, etc. 1 Corinthians 10.31 and Colossians 3.17 and 23. Uh, turn to Colossians 3.16 first. Colossians 3.16. As Pastor said, it's what you... Think about music worship that counts. It's up to us to think about how we worship God outside of the church in whatever way 
it might be, but it is personal. Look at uh, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then look at verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. This is not just about worshiping God in song. Whatever you do, do it in Christ's name. How, how awesome is that, that we actually can bring God glory in whatever we do? Things even that we think are uh, inconsequential, whether it's at work or at home, it could be really small things. If you do it the right attitude and you do it for Him, as though you're doing it for Him, whatever the little thing might be, that's worship. God recognizes that and appreciates that because you're doing it with a thankful heart towards Him. Where are your affections? Why do you do everything that you do? So again, in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Look at verse 22, Colossians 3, 22. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service, as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve in whatever you do. Again, the point on the board, worship is personal. It's up to you as individuals to contemplate when and how you worship outside of these four walls of the church. And on the board, we have 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even if you eat or drink, don't let food be your, uh, don't be a slave to food, let's say. But in that thing, give thanks to God for it. All the glory goes to God. Don't be a slave to it. Instead, appreciate it and accept it. And don't let it become a God to you. Something that satisfies the flesh for a sense of uh, false happiness. Any and all things in our lives should be done for the Lord. And of course, nobody's perfect. But that's, that's our goal. Any and all things should be done for God. And any and all worship must be done in spirit and in truth. True worship, according to Jesus Christ, must be done in spirit and truth. So we're back to submission. We're back to submission, the S word, the one we all love. Submission to the loving, holy God of the universe who saved us from sin and death. Why is that so hard? What are we doing when we don't submit to the one who died for us? I have in my notes, what are we, stupid? Don't answer that. What are we doing? Like what? You could tell, you could tell right there how much the flesh gets in the way. Because it makes no sense not to want to submit to someone that loves you and proved it by dying for you. Even our flesh knows that doesn't make sense. 
but our flesh is so selfish, it wants to get in between that relationship. It's really crazy. But to be aware of this, like to be like vitally aware of this, to be sensitive towards this, can save us a lot of heartache, can, can relieve us from um, chasing after things for happiness. You know, the blog preoccupation with being happy. Instead of wasting our time and causing more suffering to ourselves, we can be happy <laughs> in Him, with Him, by submission, by surrender. So remember what Jesus flatly said about worship in John 4.24 on the board. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's in bold for a purpose. This is huge. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Recall years ago when Pastor taught us about the filling of the Spirit. And one main conclusion was to be filled with the Spirit comes with submission to Him as our Lord and our guide. The filling of the Spirit includes submission to Him, or surrender, if you will. It's an issue of submission of the heart to God. And what is God in verse 24 on the board? God is spirit. As we've been learning lately on the board, true humility begins and ends with submission to the word of God. And we might add to this submission of our spirit to his spirit. We have a spirit that he gave us, a human spirit. True humility includes that too. As we, again, John 4, 24, we must worship Him in spirit and truth. Submit to the Word and submit your own spirit to His spirit. Stop playing games or staying on the fence. You want to be happy? That's what you have to do. It doesn't make sense to the flesh. It doesn't make sense to the world, but that's what you have to do. Submit. Fall on your knees if you have to, literally or, or figuratively, any time of the day maybe. When you need to submit, when you know you're out of line, submit, bow, be filled with the Spirit. Ask Him to be filled with the Spirit, to take away your self getting in the way. And you watch how He takes over your life, your heart. Your peace, you know. It's hard to describe, but it begins with submission. Of course, when we come down to it, the Spirit and the Word are one. Something to never forget. The intimacy of God and the ways He reveals Himself to us. As we look at things from His perspective, we see that God wants us to surrender our affections towards Him towards Him. That's a big emphasis that's come out of the, the music discussion. To be, be singing towards God. True worship means gratitude directed towards God. Why wouldn't it be directed towards God, right? Why would it be directed towards a church or another person or your own emotions? That's something getting in the way of true religion, of what Christianity really is. It's true worship and praise 
It's gratitude towards God. So if we're going to celebrate, we ought to be celebrating Him and Him more directly in things like song and in the Word and in prayer, more directly, more personal. And even us believers, we have a habit of supplanting uh, worshiping God with other things. And we do it subtly. We do it um, being deceived. But if we're humble, God's going to show it. God will reveal that to you also, we read. And we'll be set free. We sometimes even knowingly do these things, which is pretty crazy. We, we, we are so good at rationalizing a lifestyle so that we don't have to drop it. I mean, I've, I've done this for years, for example, in the work arena. Okay, As I look at my jobs, uh, the things I... I shifted to, um, thankfully, God led me a couple times in the last so many years to change paths or change directions or how I did things. But I was holding on at times to certain careers, certain jobs, certain um, financial stability. And rationalizing it away as pure, let's say. And let's face it, any kind of business you're in, you're faced with challenges of right and wrong. You're faced with the opportunities to lie or cheat or skirt around the truth, etc. So you, we're all challenged in this area. It doesn't matter, I think, where we are. But we're very good at rationalizing a lifestyle so we don't have to drop it. And it takes humility to listen to God and when he says change or he says be honest about this. God wants our hearts in all we do. And he looks at the intentions of our heart. And I think that's something that, uh, I don't know, maybe a lot of believers don't, um, they have a tough time thinking about the heart and like what that means when God looks at the heart. Hebrews 4.13 says he looks at the intentions of the heart. So ask yourself a simple question. In whatever you do, whatever it is you do, it doesn't matter even good things, we should ask ourselves, what's my intention here? Why am I doing this right now? Even a good thing, even serving in the church, what's my intention right now? And it might hurt because you see an impure intention based on self or based on others or based on an idol. But what are my intentions because that's what God looks at and we can't fool God something else uh, the spirit brought up on Sunday regarding our lifestyles if your lifestyle is distracting you from proper worship of the Lord then you are responsible and the spirit added this in you also have the ability to change or simplify going forward. So first of all, you're responsible if your lifestyle is drawing you away from proper worship or even time alone with God. But you also have the ability to change or simplify it going forward. A question to ponder is, how can you be devoted to Christ if you allow too many other things in your life? 
Now, we're not talking about um, what gets in the way. We're talking about too many things getting in the way. Is that you? How can you, you know you're an alien on this earth. You know you're just visiting. You know you're just a pilgrim, as the recent blog pointed out. We're really citizens of heaven. So how can you be devoted to your Lord and Savior if you have too many things going on in your life? It's only right that our life is devoted to Him, the one who gave it, the one who saved it. And yet we have all these things that pull us away from eagerly awaiting His return. Right? The Bible will say, keep your chin up. Lift your head up and, and, and eagerly look for His return. You can't keep your chin up if you have all these other things you're juggling. Too many things. So just something to think about the Spirit is throwing out there. In other words, if we have too many options, that should sound familiar, if we have too many options we've allowed into our lives, we'll be distracted from the only one worthy of our affections. Another question, how can you have quiet time with the Lord when you're juggling too many other things, even good things? How can you have quiet time with Him? You may have to simplify. You may have to make a change and be set free by it. Because that's what's going to happen. Ask DJ. I know he's simplified his life a lot in the past few years and uh, is set free by it. You know, if you need help with that, ask somebody. But we only have so much time on this earth, right? Will you, will, will you live it being devoted to him and building a relationship with him and having your quiet time as number one with him? Or... Are you going to let too many things just get in the way, even good things? He's got to be number one. The Spirit also asked us to stop and look at our past week. And He said, be honest. How much time did you actively set aside for worshiping the Lord this past week? Let's allow Holy Scripture to speak to us again. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Luke 4, verse 8. Luke 4, verse 8, just look at your week. Take a snapshot of your last week and say, how much time did I actually have set aside for God? Worshiping God, you know, towards Him, directed towards Him, alone. How much time did I have set aside in my quote-unquote busy life to worship Him? Jesus said in Luke 4, 8, uh, Jesus answered Satan, it is written... You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. In whatever you do, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Jesus knew how to keep His life simple. And yet He had the most pressure on Him of any man that ever lived. But He knew how to keep His life simple. What was it? Worship God and Him alone. And if I'm not doing that thing, I'm not going to do that thing. Whatever that thing is that's pulling me away from that simple pure truth. Paul reveals to us the connection between what we choose to do with our body and being spiritual. And this came up earlier in the lesson. Look at Romans 12.1 on the board. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
the body and the spirit are very intimately connected. The body should be our slave to serve God with. The body should be what we use, which God gave us, to serve Him. It's a tool, if you will, for the spirit to use. To live a life of living in holy sacrifice, to bring glory to God. Our bodies have been given to us for Jesus Christ. When's the last time you really thought that way? Our very bodies, which we want to use for whatever we want to use it for, our bodies were given to us for Him, just like our own lives are not our own. They're for Him, for His glory. And with our bodies, we can make time to worship God in song. Uh, turn again to Isaiah 12, 2. Isaiah 12, 2. We've been on the thread of song, and, you know, there really should be time in our own personal, private schedule to worship God in song. Um, it might be in the car. It might be in the shower. It might be when you, you have time alone in your closet, so to speak, when you go to pray, um, and no one's listening but Him, you know, so you're not preoccupied with people hearing you. Isaiah 12, 2 Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, make them remember that His name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for He has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. I love that phrase. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord in song, for He has done excellent things. He's good. He's been good to us in so many ways we don't even see. Just praise the Lord because He's good. And do it to Him. Not about Him. Not to others. Do it to Him. So again, speaking of this past week on the board, be honest. How much time did you actively set aside worshiping the Lord? Your own schedule at home between you and God. Let that challenge you. There's nothing wrong with that. Or has sin deceived you away from worshiping the Lord in your daily life and not just at church? We can get so busy. We can get so busy with the stuff we have to do we can let things overtake our schedule and not, not put them first. Well, if, you, if, you, if you're that busy, maybe you need to cut something out of your life. That's a regular. That shouldn't be a regular. It could be a good thing. But maybe you just need to put him first in your own private time. Jesus reminds us worship can and should be at home. Otherwise, how do you close the door? Matthew 6, 6 on the board but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You don't think God the Father loves if you sit at home in your room alone with nobody else and you sing to Him? 
Do you know how much he must like love that? And if you're a parent to a child, you, you can relate more so maybe. But he loves that just to be adored, just to be thanked properly for what he did that he didn't have to do. It's an opportunity, uh, worship is. And we're missing out when we don't put that time aside. In the devil's world, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a fight to rightly worship God in our own time. Uh, as we've been told by the Spirit, we have to fight for quiet time. Fight for alone time. I'm looking at Christian with all the people in his house, right? Seven people in your house. You have to fight for quiet time. You have to find a way. You have to find a time. You have to find a place. It might be climbing a tree, and you're at the top, and nobody knows it. And you're just, whatever, praying and singing. I don't know. Why not? But we have to fight for it. We, and we have to choose to design our lives in a godly way. Design our lives, our schedules, with valuable prayer and introspection time. If you, know, if you have time to think about the lessons, for example, you're really missing out. Like, you're missing out on letting God convict you personally of certain things and show you certain things and reveal certain things. You're missing out. It's like, why even come in a class? I mean, don't take that literally, but <laughs> you're really missing out if you don't double down on it. If you don't find some time to think about what God just said in the message today. But it's between you, you and God. No one can do it for you. So Jesus gave us the supreme example He's the only man who ever lived who literally had the pressure of the whole world upon his shoulders. And what did he do? He made time to be alone with his Heavenly Father. Matthew 14, 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone we can learn from his lifestyle habits. Why not just be like children, imitate his faith? Go to Mark one thirty-five again. Mark one thirty-five. Be like Jesus. I remember um, going to India years ago, and one of the salvation tracts that they were passing out uh, in their language, part of the salvation track was go climb a mountain and go talk to God on top of a mountain somewhere alone, which Jesus did all the time. Where else are you going to uh, better have the chance to hear from him personally than a place that's isolated and alone with God alone? I mean... Mark 135, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. While it was still dark. There are some lessons here for us who think, I could never do that. We put ourselves and our schedules in a box sometimes, at least I know I do, and I'm going to use myself as an example. Um, I'm now seeing it's good and healthy to try new ways to be with God. 
it's important. In other words, why not try breaking your routine? You might find something out of the box that really works for you and get you good alone time with God. But you've got to try it and step out by faith. You've got to step out by faith and try it, even though it's uncomfortable to get up while it's still dark, for example. One example just I want to give you is, is when I get up first thing in the morning, uh, like right around sunrise, and instead of staying in the house and having my coffee and doing my reading first, first I go outside, at least for a short walk, at that early, early morning hour. And I found it to be the most peaceful time and the time I'm the most grateful towards God, like the time I'm most able to express gratitude. I can't even really say it, but it's wonderful. And even though that's uncomfortable, okay, to get up, go right outside early, maybe it's cool outside, you know, it's too cold, blah, 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 the excuses we make. Maybe we need to step up by faith and try something different in our schedule to get along with him. Do whatever it takes to get along with him. It might be late at night. It might be midnight. You might have to go outside in the backyard at midnight. Put on a mosquito net if you have to. And go sit, have a cup of tea, and be alone in the quiet with God. It's going to pay dividends. Just being alone with his creation, if you get the chance to somehow, um, it makes you forget the details of life and remember his goodness. So the point is, get out of your own way. Be willing to step out of your box, whatever your box is, that I would never do that. Try it. You might like it. You might love it. I don't know what it is. But step out by faith, especially if you're in a rut and you don't have alone time with God. Do something. And ask God to show you, for you. So regarding good choices on the board, find quiet time to dwell with God, even if you rise before dark, to just be with Him and alone. You don't even have to go with words. Isn't that the great thing about God? He's like, I don't need a lot of words. I don't even want a lot of words. Just come be with me. Let me put things in your head instead of you, you know, deciding what you want to talk about. Find quiet time to dwell with God, even if you rise before dark, to just be with Him and make sure it's alone. It might only be 10 minutes a day, but it might be uh, the best 10 minutes and it might, quote-unquote, save your spiritual life. True happiness can only come from building a relationship with the Lord. If we haven't learned that yet, we haven't been listening. True happiness can only come from building a relationship with the Lord. And relationships, whether we like it or not, take time and effort. There's no two ways about it. As Holy Scripture reveals to us, those who want to know the Lord are going to have more things revealed to them. And they'll have more and more of God's peace, too, even in trials. That's a promise from Holy Scripture. It's an investment. God wants to know if you really want to know Him. Go again to Psalm 37, verse 1. Psalm 37, 1.
True happiness can only come from building a relationship with the Lord. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. So in other words, don't listen to the deceitfulness of sin that leads you to wrongly compare yourself to others. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. That's an interesting word. Relationships have to be built. Cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Being blessed and happy are gifts from God, and they only come from cultivating a relationship with God. Do not buy the false promises of the flesh and the world, because they're not even capable of delivering. They can't pull it off. The lies of the world are only fleeting and empty emotional highs. As many of us have learned the hard way over the years, they're empty and they're vapid, like a house of cards. Stop buying that lie. Happiness only comes from building a relationship with the Lord. Try it. (laughs) You've graciously been granted to know the way. You know the way. Stop looking right and left for happiness. Place your trust in Him and your affections in Jesus and let Him give you rest. But it only comes with true humility, which begins and ends with submission to the Word of God and His Spirit. Will you obey? Are you willing to obey? Because there's only one way. It's the narrow path. It's the only way that works. It's the only way that delivers. It's Jesus. But if you have zero alone time with Jesus, how are you going to see the fruit of a relationship with Him? In closing, Christianity is not about temporal happiness. Don't let the world's misdirection fool you. This came up on Sunday. It's misdirection by the world. The world says, turn off the yellow brick road and you'll be happier. And that's a bogus lie, a big fat lie with carrots dangling, hanging at the side. Just try it, the world says. And I say, if you want to suffer, try it. We've all been there. But as Pastor ended with on Sunday, this is the very lifeline of the deceitfulness of sin, misdirection. I'm curious to see what the Spirit has him elaborate on with that, but just something to think about. You mustn't buy the misdirections or the sleight of hand of the kingdom of darkness that he tries to use on us in this world. It's a house of cards. 
So we'll end this way in Matthew 5.3. The Lord said, Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need to rest on that. That's we need to place our hope in him alone. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that doesn't mean just when you go to heaven. It means now. God wants us to experience that in a supernatural way. This world can't even come close to it, but we have to be willing to submit, find time alone with him. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how you level with us through the guidance of your Holy Spirit. Please continue to show us what we need to see. Please help us to continue to be humble and give us more faith so that we can see the, the truth and the treasures you have for us, especially spiritually. We thank you, Father, especially for your Son, Jesus Christ. We look forward to meeting you face to face one day. And for now, help us bring you more glory. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your Spirit. Amen.